and we are continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer today. Many people have asked us how we found Paris, what's, what's Paris like, what's it like to live there, and, and I can tell you that Paris is the, the city of the, the Eiffel Tower, it's the city of the Louvre, it's the city of baguettes and croissants, it's the city of police sirens and the city of tear gas as well. And for the past 14 weeks, there has been an, a, a weekly manifestation, as they call it, in central Paris, the gilets jaunes, the, those who wear the yellow vests. Have you seen it on the news? The yellow vests come out every Saturday. Yesterday was what they call the 16th Act, so the 16th manifestation. And uh, we got caught up in the fourth act and uh, had a good dose of tear gas and saw some burning cars and it's all quite exciting. And the, the thing about the, the gilets jaunes protesters is that no one knows exactly what they want. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any, any real leader of the movement and there's no real clear agenda for this movement. But one of their, their catch cries is Macron de mission. Macron, resign. Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, we want you to resign. But they're not saying exactly why they want him to resign. The, the, the movement seems to be saying, we don't really know what we want, but we don't want him. We don't want Emmanuel Macron to be our president. And many people say that the, the French have a, an anti-authoritarian bent and that the French are an anti-authoritarian people. But I want to suggest this morning that anti-authoritarianism is not a French trait. It's a human trait. It's a human trait. We all have an anti-authoritarian bent and bias. And that is especially the case when it comes to God's anointed king, Jesus Christ. And as we look today at the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, we are going to recognise this anti-authoritarian bias against God's anointed King Jesus. We're going to recognise it and we are going to yearn for something much, much better. And so we've been studying the Lord's Prayer together. Let me reread it to you from Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9, where our Lord Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And in our first week, first two weeks, we looked at the address of the Lord's Prayer. Our Lord Jesus teaches us to come before God and to address him as Father. And our Lord teaches us to look to God as Father, to encourage us to come before him as a God who loves us, a God who delights in us, delights to be near us, delights to hear the prayers and requests of his children. And so we should come to him with a sense of 
of confidence and intimacy as our Heavenly Father. And we must remember that He is our Father in Heaven. And He is the Creator, and He is the Holy One, and He is Almighty. And so we are to come not just with a sense of intimacy, but with a sense of reverence and awe. And that is the, the, the address of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in Heaven. This is our posture before God. And then last week we looked at the first petition. The first thing we are to pray for, our Lord Jesus says, is that our Father's name be hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. And we saw last week that to hallow our Father's name means to set apart his name above every other name and to give him all glory, honour, worship and praise. And that is the first thing we are to pray for. And the second request we look at today, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, our Lord Jesus says we are to come before God and pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. A three-word request, a three-word petition, your kingdom come. And we're going to see now that when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for and recognising four things. There are four things we are doing and saying when we say to God, your kingdom come. Let me pray and then we'll look at those. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, we are your children. Speak to us now, teach us. And may your Spirit open our ears and soften our hearts to receive and to own every word that you say. Amen. The first thing we are doing when we pray to our Father, your kingdom come. The first thing we're doing is that we are recognising our Father's king and kingdom. So when we we come before our Father, we say, your kingdom come, we are recognising his kingdom and his king. And his king is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when our Lord came up out of the water, having been baptised by John the Baptist, what happened? We read that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended and alighted on him like a dove. And then a voice booming from heaven, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And God was announcing to all that were present on that day, God was announcing to all people for all ages to come that Jesus Christ is his Son, his King. With him he is well pleased. And we remember that our Lord went up onto that mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration because he went up with Peter, James and John and he was transfigured in front of them. And we read that his face shone like the sun. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? You can't look at the sun, can you? It's, it's unbearable, it's too bright, it's overwhelming. And, and the face of Jesus was shining like the sun and his clothes were shining likewise. 
and we read that a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said again, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then, listen to him. Listen to him. He's my king, my son, and my anointed king. And Jesus proved that he was God's king in so many different ways. He proved it in his teaching. When Jesus taught, people were astonished, weren't they? They were astonished because he didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he taught them as one who had authority, an inherent authority. People knew that when they were listening to Jesus, they were listening to the voice of the king, that they had to obey what he was saying. And he had authority to forgive people their sins. Like that that paralytic lowered through the roof. Son, your sins are forgiven. And he had authority over the spiritual realm, authority to drive out demons. He had authority over creation. He, He spoke to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. Authority even over death. Lazarus, come out. Read the Gospels and you will see a man of stupendous authority, God's King, Jesus Christ, his anointed. And when we lift up our hearts and our minds to our Father and say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we are acknowledging that the Father's The Father has a kingdom, and that the Father's king is Jesus Christ. Let me read to you from the beginning of the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul says that as to his flesh, Jesus Christ was, what? A descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness, he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. When God raised Jesus from the grave and when he ascended into heaven, he was enthroned as God's great king. And we acknowledge that when we pray, your kingdom come. The second thing is this, and this is a negative. When we pray, your kingdom come, now now, now just think about those words for a moment, your kingdom come come, in other words, we are acknowledging that God's kingdom hasn't yet fully come. It has not yet been fully realised, acknowledged, owned by humanity. Why would we pray your kingdom come if we were not acknowledging that there was something still to be done? Yes, Jesus is God's king anointed king, nothing can detract from his rule, power or or authority. Yet, there is something still to come. And that's what we are praying when we pray, your kingdom come. We are recognising that many have rejected and continue to reject God's son, Jesus, as king. And we read in Matthew's gospel that when the Magi, the wise men, came to King Herod. 
And Herod wanted to think that he was the, the, the king of the Jews, even though he was a false king. And when the Magi came and said, we have come looking for the king of the Jews, what was Herod's response? Ah, well, please go and find him so that I too can worship him. And what did Herod really want to do? Please go and find him, come back and tell me so that I can kill him. And we know that that's true because as soon as Herod found out that the Magi had gone back home another way, he was furious and he sent his soldiers to Bethlehem and the surrounding areas to kill every child, every male child, two years and under. Such was his rage and hatred of God's anointed king. He wanted him dead. He was a threat to Herod, and he had to destroy that threat. And we read that in Jerusalem, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus Christ stood before the people of Jerusalem and they'd, they'd heard his teaching and they'd seen his great miracles. And Pontius Pilate said, what do you want me to do with him? What shall I do with this man who claims to be the king of the Jews? And their response? Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, why should I crucify him? What's he done wrong? Pilate was a governor, a Roman governor. He'd not broken any, any laws as far as Pilate could see. Why should I crucify him? And the people, Matthew tells us, shouted all the louder, crucify him. Just get rid of him. Get rid of this man. And even the Roman soldiers, knowing that Jesus claimed kingship, dressed him in a, a cloak of scarlet and a crown of thorns and put a staff into his hand after they had scourged him and flogged him and mocked him, hail, king of the Jews. And they, they took that staff from his hand and beat him repeatedly. And this is how the Romans dealt with God's anointed king and son, Jesus Christ. And we read that even 20 years later, when the Apostle Paul was preaching in Athens amongst the, the Athenian philosophers, and he told them about God's son, Jesus, and he said, God has, has appointed him to be judge over all the earth, and a day is coming when he will return to judge all people, and God has proven this by raising him from the dead, and many people saw him raised, how did the Athenians respond? How did the, the great ones of Athens respond? We read that many of them sneered. They sneered at, at, at what Paul said. Again, not, not asking. Some, some of them did ask. Some of them did want more information. But many did. They just didn't want to know. We don't want to even want to know about, about this king that you're talking about, Paul even though you say that God raised him from, from the dead. And, and this is the, the heart of humanity, that even though Jesus had been given all God's authority, 
People won't even look. People won't even ask. Won't even inquire. And I must say that here we are, and, and, and most of us here this morning claim to be Christians. Most of us claim to be Christians. And we know that we know more than anyone that, that God has anointed Jesus to be his king. And we know more than anyone that he is seated at the right hand of God with all power, rule, and authority. We even sing, crown him with many crowns. Not just, not just crown him, God, but crown him with many crowns. These are the songs we sing. And yet even we resist the authority and rule of God's sovereign, anointed king, Jesus Christ. Even we rebel against his authority. Oh yes, we're, we're happy to obey Jesus, usually, but as soon as his rule comes up against my will, then we're not so happy. So when Jesus commands us to forgive those who have sinned against us, okay, your king, yes, but that's too hard, that's too much, Jesus. Or when he tells us to extend mercy to those who have so little, to, to share our two cloaks and to give one to those who are cold and to give a glass of water to the thirsty and food to the hungry, that's when his rule collides with our will and we don't, we don't like to hear it. And so we know above all people that when we are praying your kingdom come, we are recognising that the authority of Jesus is still resisted on earth, even amongst those who call themselves his people. And so we are praying, we are praying, Father, extend his kingdom, extend his kingdom. May all people come to know that Jesus is king. And may his rule extend over all of our hearts, not just some of our hearts, but all of our heart, all of our will. And this is the third thing we are praying for. This is the third thing we are praying for. When we say your kingdom come, we are longing and praying for universal submission to the Father's king. We are grieving that there are many who don't know Jesus as king. And we grieve that even we resist his authority and we cry out, Father, come and conquer the hearts of all people. May all people see that your son is king and bow before him as king. Many of, many of us enjoy that 20th century classic, The Lord of the Rings. And I, I sat next to a, a young guy flying, flying into Sydney and uh, we were talking about books we loved and I said, he said, well, what's one of your favourites? I said, oh, I really enjoyed The Lord of the Rings. And he said, oh, it's terrible, it's boring, he said. So I asked for another seat. <laughs> I thought, how, how could anyone find that book boring? Anyway, those of us who like it, even if you don't like it, you, you probably know that, that that's the story of, of 
uh, among other many stories. It's the story of Strider, who becomes, whose, whose real name is Aragorn, who is the rightful king of Middle-earth. He is the rightful king, isn't he? But he's not recognised as king, and he hasn't taken his seat yet on the throne. And as you're reading the Lord of the Rings, you want him to be recognised as king because he's the rightful king. and You want to see him honoured in the way he should be. And, and you know also that when he is king, he's going to be a good king and he's going to bring peace. He's going to bring peace to Middle-earth. And so this, this is a, a, a dim illustration of why we pray, your kingdom come, because it grieves us that Jesus Christ, who is God's rightful king, is not recognised as such. And it grieves us because we know he is a good king. And his rule is a good rule. And he brings peace, forgiveness, happiness, wherever his rule extends. And so we pray for the rule of King Jesus to be established in the hearts of every person on earth. And we pray that when we pray, your kingdom come. And the fourth and final thing we pray for, when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're longing for him to return. And and I think... uh, Perhaps many of us who identify as Presbyterian, we're perhaps a little impatient with what we call eschatology, the, the study of end times. And we, we are a bit bemused by those who are so uh, enthralled by end times and eschatology and the different theories. And, and we keep a little bit of a distance from that. And we say, well, we, we know it's all going to work out in the end. And why do people get so uptight and obsessed with the return of Jesus? But that's a classic case of throwing out the baby, isn't it? Classic case of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Because when I read the New Testament, I see the Apostle Paul, in particular, obsessed with the return of Jesus. He's always talking about it. He's often describing it. And we see the early Christians longing for Jesus' return. In fact, the early church were disturbed when every week that went by, disturbed that he hadn't yet returned. And Paul had to write to them to explain, well, and and Peter had to write as well, didn't he? To explain, well, this is why he hasn't come back yet. And we read the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we see such longing for the return of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. Final words of the Bible. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And this is what we pray. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying for the return of the king who will come and put an end to injustice, who will put a final end to rebellion and sin in our hearts, who will judge and give exactly what is deserved to those who have done evil, to those who have done good, and who will bring his people into glory and eternal life with him. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are longing 
for that day. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you this morning, you're very new to church. It might be your first visit, your third visit. You're very new to church. And this is all very new to you. Okay, I I hear what you're saying, that that Christians believe that, that Jesus is God's eternal, universal king. And this might be brand new information for you. And what I want to say to you this morning is don't do what so many of those Athenian philosophers did on Mars Hill, who sneered and said, what nonsense. What are those Christians going on about Jesus as king? Well, there is an historical fact that cannot be removed or budged, and that fact is the resurrection of Jesus, a resurrection that showed he is unlike any other human being who's ever lived. A resurrection, the Bible says, that proved that he is unique, that he is God's king. And so what I want to say to you this morning, if you're brand new to this church, and and this is the first time you've heard that, that Jesus is God's king, don't walk away sneering. But instead, ask the question, is it true? Is it true? And I'd be very happy to help you to answer that question. The question is never, do I like it, but is it true? That's what I want to say to those who are new. And now I want to talk to those who are on the cusp of leaving Christianity. And there are some of you here this morning under sufferance. You'd rather not be here, it's hot rather be at home or at the beach, and you're thinking of walking away from Christ, and you're a bit like the gilets jaunes that I described, the French protesters. I don't really know what I want, but I don't want him. I don't want Christ. I don't want Jesus. And I want you to know that your rebellion will in no way stop him from being king. You walk away from him, he he is still king and always will be. And you cannot and never will remove that fact. And I want you to know that if you walk away from Jesus as your ruler, I want you to know that you are putting yourself under another ruler. You're going to put yourself under another ruler. And it's not a good ruler. Because the devil is a cruel, cruel master. And he's calling you, and he wants you, but he will lash you, and he will drag you into hell. You don't want to live under a cruel master. And I want everyone to know, these are the only two choices You are living under the rule of Jesus Christ and submitting to his rule. Or you're following the prince of this earth, the father of lies, the accuser who lashes and destroys the souls of all who put themselves under his rule. And I want you to know, finally, that if you make a decision 
to walk away from Christ as your King and Lord, then one day he may well just hand you over to that. He's very, very patient. He was patient with me. Because when I was young, I said no to him, and he was patient. For years he was patient. I didn't deserve his patience. I deserved to be thrown into hell in a moment. But the Bible says that his patience does come to an end. And if you resist and resist and resist, then he may one day hand you over to that and say, if you will not have me as your king, then you will not have me as your king. And you'll have that other king and that other destiny. If that's what you want, that's what you will have. And so I'm saying, beware. And finally, I I, I want everyone, whether you're new, whether you're on the cusp of walking out, whether you've been a Christian for decades, let us all pray. Let your kingdom come and welcome him into our hearts and into our lives. That's what it means to pray, your kingdom come. Let's pray this good prayer, this wonderful prayer. Lord Jesus, come and enthrone yourself, not just over the universe, but in the throne of my heart. And be my Lord. Be my King. And he is a good ruler. And he is kind. And he loves us. And we read that as Jesus walked towards Jerusalem just a week before his death, that many people spread their cloaks on the road and others went and grabbed leafy branches and, they, and Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on, the, on the, the colt of a donkey and they are laying out their cloaks and leafy branches and they are shouting out, Hosanna, which literally means save, save us. And it was, a, it was also an, an acclamation of praise. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's do this. And we do do this. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are laying out the cloaks and the leafy branches and we are saying, come, God's king, come, come and rule in my heart, rule in my life. Rule in the life of those that I know and love. Come, Lord Jesus, God's good, powerful, kind and loving King. Let's pray that now. Yes, Father, your kingdom come. May your king come and enter into our hearts and bring salvation, peace, forgiveness, joy. Father, those rebellious strongholds, Lord, crush them. May your king crush them. May every aspect of our thinking 
our emotions, our thoughts, come under the rule of your good and kind son. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, musicians.